Coming up, Damian Lillard gets traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. Should the Brooklyn Nets have been involved after the Miami Heat fell out of favor? Could they have been a fringe beneficial team? And what does the fallout from this trade mean, not only for the league, but specifically the Nets and any moves they may want to make going forward? We dive in live coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets. Every single day, I am Adam Armbrecht breaking down not only the New York football giants on the One Giant podcast with Andy Mack, also your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck podcast. We thank you as always for making us your first listen of the day, free on all those great platforms and sometimes live on YouTube. And as we say, Diving in on the fallout from the Damian Lillard trade to the Milwaukee Bucks from the Portland Trailblazers, Phoenix Suns in the mix as well. We're going to take a look at this from a number of different angles. Not only should the Nets have been in the discussions for Damian Lillard, would they have been able to be the third team potentially in a trade scenario like this? What would it have cost them? And where do they stand now? How do these trades impact not only the NBA landscape, but specifically the Eastern Conference landscape and the playoff picture? for our Brooklyn Nets. Well, we kick things off welcoming everybody in, of course, live on YouTube if you're joining us and on the podcast feed where we always greatly appreciate the support on either end of the spectrum. First and foremost, the trade itself. So we talk about this um, surprising, certainly, trade that goes down here. We know that Giannis had been sending all of the signals to the organization. I want to see that we're committed to winning championships. Well, a move like this certainly gives him some confidence in the short term that they're going to be right there and by most metrics favored to win the NBA championship after this trade. So they commit, they stay committed to Giannis as they well should. The Bucks received Damian Lillard. Now we mentioned also the Phoenix Suns were involved in this trade. The Blazers end up with DeAndre Ayton, Tamar, uh, Tamani Kamari also from the Suns, Drew Holiday from the Bucks, a 2029 first round pick from the Bucks, and then two first round swaps in 28 and 30 with the Bucks as well. The Suns are going to get Grayson Allen, Keon Johnson from the Blazers, Nasir Little from the Blazers, and also Yusuf Nurkic in from the Blazers. So just on the surface, the rumors were, and it was reported, that the first availability of Damian Lillard this offseason in regards to the now spurned Miami Heat was a package that surrounded around Tyler Hero, two first-round picks, Marks J. Spears of ESPN had reported. So that seems to be where Miami was standing, and ultimately we'll talk about why that probably fell apart in the eyes of the Portland Trailblazers in particular here. But this was surprising, not only because it came out somewhat of left field. We know there were maybe some other teams that were sniffing around. But ultimately, that the Blazers are banking on flipping the value of a Drew Holiday here at some point to make sure that they fill out what this is going to look like. Now, they get themselves a DeAndre Aiden. That's a young player, a centerpiece for them. The Milwaukee Bucks stay, obviously, high-level competitive. And if you're the Phoenix Suns, 
you get a handful of guys here. Keon Johnson has $20 million on his to try to probably get off that money at some point. The Grayson Allen piece certainly helps you out a little bit. Nasir Little maybe becomes the most interesting player inside of this because I actually think he has really sneaky value for the Phoenix Sun team. And then we know about Nurkic. I've talked before about how maybe the Brooklyn Nets could have sniffed around in these three-team scenarios with the Portland Trailblazers. Would Yusuf Nurkic and his 17 to $20 million over the next few seasons have been the perfect solution? Probably not, but, but it's a player. It's a player that helps you and doesn't dramatically impact where you are one, two, and three seasons down the line. But when we also hear that when the dust settled of the Miami Heat scenario not playing out, Damian Lillard listed the Brooklyn Nets, Nets as one of the teams that he would have wanted to go to, potentially. And if we're going to look at it from that perspective, this is the one-to-one that you can take away from the way this trade gets laid out. So the Blazers got DeAndre Ayton. Okay, put in Nicholas Claxton. That's who it would have been if the Brooklyn Nets were going into this discussion in this exact same scenario. We're going to be the third party. We're going to go ahead and swap some things around and get some players back. Would the Nets have been satisfied with getting a Nurkic? I don't know, but a Nurkic and a Nasir Little and lining those things up certainly would have been interesting from that standpoint as well. The reason why the Nets could have, if they wanted to, gotten into these discussions is a player like, as we've said before this in this offseason, Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, and even a Spencer Dinwiddie. Those are three players with varying degrees of contracts all the way from 20 at Spencer Dinwiddie expiring this year down to Royce O'Neal at $9, $10 million. And right there in the middle with a little bit of team control is Dorian Finney-Smith at just north of $13 million. So you could have dabbled in these waters. Like if, if we take out the Phoenix Suns and insert the Brooklyn Nets, they very much could have been dance partners in this if they wanted to. You could have given Nicholas Claxton to the Portland Trailblazers, and you could have given certainly along with picking up Damian Lillard, though the Bucks would have had to make an additional adjustment to their roster from a cap standpoint. You could have said, we have some veteran experienced guys that are ready to help a team win now. And that's maybe the biggest factor in all of this. But for me, if we're talking about having to give up Nicholas Claxton, I'm again going to stay away from it because nothing that you get out of this outside of catching some draft capital fallout, nothing that the Suns come back with is would have been something that I think the Nets should have been heavily involved in. Taking the Keon Johnson in the short term isn't necessarily attractive. I mentioned Nasir Little, mentioned Nurkic. Now, if you want to say that Drew Holiday is out there, and the Brooklyn Nets could have looked at him as being a viable option. Well, that does become at least interesting to me, right? And, and we, we know what happens here going forward with Drew Holiday and the Portland Trailblazers would be really fun to watch because it's the next level of this trade process. And it could end up expanding, as many have reported, tuned into the uh, low podcast with Bobby Marks as well. And they discussed the different factors that are going to come in here as we move forward. So they could expand into a four-team trade. It could expand into extra teams coming in here, depending on where Holiday is going to land. Already hearing, could the 76ers could be interested in bringing back Holiday from all those years ago. The Miami Heat could want to bring him into the fold. Maybe the Chicago Bulls that maybe were interested in getting in on the Dame conversation could now say, well, we can upgrade and bring in another veteran player for our shorter-term window. Can the Brooklyn Nets be involved in that discussion? Could they have been involved in this particular package right here? That that. Uh, that I think is at least a talking point worth having. If the Brooklyn Nets were non-committed 
to going to the table specifically with Portland and saying, we will give you a first round pick and a couple of swaps. And we know those aren't going to be the Nets controlled capital. Those are the ones from Phoenix and they're infinitely more valuable. We don't want to do that. And we don't want to give up Nicholas Claxton. But if we're the third team here, could we have ended up sniffing around Drew Holiday? Maybe they could still be involved. Let's get into that facet of it, understanding that he's a 33-year-old veteran. We'll talk about the money on the books for him. And then what does this mean going forward? Is Miami still in the process of trying to improve their team? Is Tyler Hero still potentially on the market? And are the Brooklyn Nets in a position to pursue any of these players if it means getting younger, if it means getting better, if it means improving depth? All these different facets are still on the table for the Nets, though at least on the surface, they went ahead and took a big step back from the table in spite of some very short term ahead of this trade going down, maybe just days, privately being told that Damian Lillard would be interested in coming to Brooklyn. It does not look like, at least at this moment, that Sean Marks in the front office really went forward in any significant fashion. We'll continue to break down the Drew Holiday element of this, what it means from a Eastern Conference standpoint and the NBA landscape at large coming up here in just one second. Before we do that, though, folks, we got to tell you about our friends over at DoorDash. Oh, you know that if you're sitting there at the breakfast table, as I often am, having my cup of coffee, I look over, don't have any milk. I look over, I've run out of syrup for my pancakes. I don't want to have to get in the car, maybe put on nice pants and a shirt and jacket and shoes and all the nonsense. No, that's why you go over to DoorDash Grocery Delivery and you can get what you want right when you need it. If you love the convenience of getting what you want right to your door with DoorDash Grocery Delivery, you can stock up for the week or order last minute cravings conveniently. So even if it's not about, maybe I want to plan down the end of the week, I like to do meal prepping and I want to have all the onions and the tomatoes and the celery and the pepper and salt, a little bit of oil, a little bit of vinegar for my, yes, chicken salad that I want to prep up. I can go ahead and get on the app, get it all right to my door without having to leave the house. That means you need fresh groceries for the week and you don't want to waste the time at the store. It's going to be the grocery delivery. You've trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites, and now you can get groceries delivered that actually get to you on time, reliably, exactly how you ordered them. All the convenience, all the consistency, all the reliability of DoorDash now for your groceries as well. If you want even more value, you can save on all your grocery and restaurant favorites with a $0 delivery fee on all eligible orders with a Dash Pash membership with easy substitutions right in the app and the best-in-class customer support, DoorDash delivers groceries exactly how you want it. You can get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to $20 in value when you use code LOCKEDONNBA at checkout. Limited time offer and terms they do apply. That's 50% off up to $20 minimum subtotal and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that is code LOCKEDONNBA for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. Okay, so when we talk about this, and thank you to everybody joining us on the YouTube Live, we always greatly appreciate seeing some familiar and friendly faces. We'll try to stick around here for a few minutes after just to maybe hash this out and get some of the fans' takeaways on what went down just yesterday with the Milwaukee Bucks acquiring Damian Lillard from the Portland Trailblazers in a three-team trade, excuse me, that included 
a previous uh, little partnership there with the Phoenix Suns. We know they have a couple of guys. Kevin Durant, yeah, that happened to be a player that the Nets once upon a time had on their roster. They even have a Yuta Watanabe, wouldn't you know it? But if we think about this from a high level of getting better, so Drew Holiday, what does it cost to get him? The Portland Trailblazers, it doesn't fit their timeline. They're young. They have their young backcourt. They now have their young center. What would it look like for the Brooklyn Nets to want to get into that conversation, just potentially? And if you go over, we know that there's a player option coming up next season uh, for the 33-year-old and will be 43-year-old Drew Holiday. Excuse me. So if we're thinking about Drew Holiday and that salary and where he is age-wise, does he fit what the Nets are doing right now? No. We've talked all off-season about how the Nets need to stay getting younger. They should have maybe moved on from some of these other players. And yet, depending on what the price point ends up being, which will be fascinating to watch, if you told me that I could bring a player like Drew Holiday for the next even just year, that next year is going to think about 37. We'll get the official numbers up here in a second. And dramatically improve and enhance what is already a very defensively minded roster for the Brooklyn Nets. I think you would have to sit here and say, well, let's lean into what we are, right? Let's get better with where we know we're already strong. Drew Holiday right now is on a 40 year, $134 million contract. It's going to be 34 million this year and the player option for 37 million next year, which he's obviously going to pick up. Now that is a massive number, right? And you'd be talking about needing to get rid of Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith and maybe Royce O'Neal as well. My maybe, I don't know, push in why it could have been a viable option, maybe still should be a considered option is that you are talking about a player in Drew Holiday that has knocked down 39, 41, and 38% from beyond the arc over the past few seasons. He's played maximum minutes, 32-plus every single year over the last three years. And then big mileage in the few years prior, going back to his time with the Pelicans, 36, 35, 34, respectively, right? So he has a lot of mileage on him, obviously, but the free-throw shooting is there. The little bit of rebounding help is there. The assist numbers are very nice, right? Almost seven and a half this past season, seven the year before, six the year prior with Milwaukee. And you know what he is from a defensive value standpoint. So I don't know. Let me get after me in the comments here. If you were the Brooklyn Nets and it cost you what, right? If you could flip those three veterans that I talked about and clear them out of the way and know that then you're going to be leaning into some of the younger guys on this roster, but you bring in a Drew Holiday to pair with Ben Simmons, with Mikhail Bridges, and with Cameron Johnson and Nick Claxton in your starting rotation. Does that move your needle for you in the upcoming season? It certainly does for me. And if I know that those veterans and Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, and Spencer Dinwiddie could net me anything, let's say they'll not even shoot the moon here. If those three players could get me one first-round pick and a couple of second-rounders, say, and I could take those and put them right over to Portland and maybe add in one more first round pick. That might be worth that. That short term juice might be worth the squeeze for me. So the Nets could have gone down that road, but they chose not to. They could, they can still go down that road, but they've chosen not to. The other part of it then is what did it mean for the Milwaukee Bucks to get better? Well, relative to the Nets, nothing. 
talked uh, we'll talk tomorrow with uh, Sharif Phillips Keaton from Netswire, and we have a little bit of an angle on that as well. And he did a little article right up you can go check out. Nothing because the Nets weren't a championship level team coming into the season. We know that, and the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks, one of the best teams, got better doesn't really change anything for the Brooklyn Nets and their outlook. What I think does become a little bit interesting, though, is if we think about now the NBA and the NBA standings and what we're hearing specifically around Eastern Conference teams, well, we now know that maybe Philadelphia wants to get after Drew Holiday here. So this is shaking some things free that could have a trickle-down effect negatively in terms of teams that could be ahead of the Nets. The positive spin on this is the Miami Heat didn't get Dame Lillard. So what are the Miami Heat now? If they don't go get a Drew Holiday, what are they going to do with Tyler Hero? Are they going to revert back and bring him back into the fold? Are they going to continue to try to flip him? Because clearly, they believe that their path to getting better requires them to move on from that player, to use a young talent to facilitate him. But the interesting thing in all of this, when we go back to the idea of what was offered, the flippability of Drew Holiday, the value of him as an NBA talent, as a veteran, even with the money, that was more attractive to Portland in the big picture here, right? Because we're talking about how they're going to turn around and look, they're not going to look to keep them. So the two things you know is, and it makes sense from Portland's standpoint, and we talked about this over the course of the summer, Tyler Hero, well, they already have their backcourt in Portland, so they don't need a Tyler Hero to be mixed in there. But even bigger than that is that Portland, at least it seems on the surface, didn't view Tyler Hero as an asset that they could turn over here for more than what they'll be able to get for Drew Holiday. And thinking about the landscape of the NBA and teams, maybe even out West, depending on how Portland looks at it, because they're not you know highly competitive right now. So they don't care where they trade them. Best package is best package. But they're going to look out there and say, can we get two? Can we get three first round picks? So when I say, oh, can the Nets manufacture an opportunity? Maybe. But you're going to have a lot of championship level teams or fringe championship level teams that are going to look at Drew Holiday and say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can get better in a hurry here. We can move the needle for ourselves. And so in the Eastern Conference, the 76ers being interested, well, again, they were ahead of the Nets, at least on uh, in theory. To, you know, you got to wonder what happens with James Harden. But if they add him in, yeah, that makes them a better team. What does it cost them? And are the 76ers really a team that's going to kind of push all in here on this iteration of their roster, knowing that it means giving up draft capital? Because that's a problem for the 76ers. If you go and make a move like this to make sure you stay you know, highly competitive in the short term, two years from now, you could be staring down having none of these players on your roster. Now, maybe they flip Joel Embiid at some point if he wants out, et cetera, et cetera. So you can recoup it, but you could be staring down a very bleak outlook if you have Joel Embiid and then these players keep, keep getting older and you don't have the draft capital to go make more trades. But that would keep them ahead of them as well. If the Miami Heat don't get them, I don't know what that team is coming this year. Still highly competitive. We know what they've been capable of, even without adding a Damian Lillard. But everyone is getting older, right? Kyle Lowry is getting older. So now maybe they pivot back and they focus on Tyler Hero as being a, a focal point of their offense and needs to take that next big step forward. I just I like it from the standpoint that the teams that in theory, or at least, you know, even with finals appearances behind the Nets in the hierarchy, they didn't get better. The Chicago Bulls didn't get better. If any of these Eastern Conference teams achieve pivoting to Drew Holiday, then all of a sudden the Nets are going to have to start looking at this a little bit differently because in addition to a team like the Bucks getting that much better, maybe Philadelphia strengthens themselves, or again, 
if it is a, a, a teams interested or otherwise reported or otherwise, if it's the Chicago Bulls, if it's the Miami Heat, if it's the Atlanta Hawks, you know, all of a sudden it surges up and some of those, those teams are irrelevant to note, but depending on where holiday ends up, it could start to really shake the hierarchy in front of the nets. Coming up here in a second, we're going to tap back into the other part of this conversation, which is where do the Nets go from here in this landscape and what other players potentially could be breaking free here for them? We'll come back and dive into that in just one second. Okay, back in on the Locked On Nets podcast, right on the Locked On Podcast Network, thanking everybody once again for being in on the live stream here. Happy to have... uh, Along for the ride, so many great fans, guys that we've known before, like Joey BK, Jonathan in here, and a lot of comments going on there. Ray T, Iceman in there as well. We'll tap back into some of your comments here as we wrap up the show for a few minutes on the back end. And remind you, go get us on the podcast feed, turn on the alerts on YouTube, obviously. It's all free, but it all helps support this show as we continue to grow. So now, the Brook from a Brooklyn Nets perspective, and really from an NBA landscape perspective, what is the next step here? And what I mean by that is, are the Nets interested maybe in Drew Holiday? Probably not, right? Old, the money, it requires a lot of moving parts. So no, okay. But if Miami gets back in on it, is Tyler Hero still an option? Right? Because we know already that the one-to-one trade didn't work out to get Dane to Miami. But can we get Drew Holiday to Miami? And if we get Drew Holiday to Miami, then Tyler Hero has to leave again. And if Tyler Hero leaves again, it's not going to be to the Portland Trailblazers. So the Nets, once again, he can go ahead and get himself, get themselves, excuse me, into the conversation to improve this backcourt. The fascinating thing to me is that we don't know, as we heard reported, that Dame said, hey, I would go to Brooklyn. And and Doug and I said, even if you added to this roster, Damian Lillard and the health of Ben Simmons and and how it looks glowingly positive as we head towards the regular season, we talk about up to five on five speed with Sharif tomorrow. It it gets it a little bit, you know, more interesting, but I don't think it was ever going to thrust the Nets into the championship discussion, at which point all of the pieces that you'd have to sacrifice would not be worth it. But things like this. Now that maybe Miami still wants to make a move and it's not at the highest level and the money still needs to match up, maybe the Nets can get Tyler Hero at an even slightly reduced cost relative to the Dame deal. But will they want to be in on that? Because sending out these players, and we were, we talked about this when we went through the Miami discussions, Royce O'Neal would make a lot of sense as a, as a valuable depth player for Miami. So you can send Royce O'Neal out and you can bring back in Tyler Hero. Now you're going to want to shift off more money. Where do you dump a Spencer Dinwiddie contract? Where do you dump a Dorian Finney-Smith contract? And when you talk about getting to the place where you feel like the Nets have collected through the draft and through this offseason so much young talent, and we know, that it's mostly dart throws, it's mostly speculative. Okay. But if we look at this roster and we say we want to bring in Tyler Hero, the guys like the Darius Baisleys of the world and, you know, Noah Clown, the draft picks like Noah Clown and Drew White, those guys are developing the background. I don't see them going anywhere, right? But Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith and veterans, okay, maybe you got to move their numbers. 
Darius Baisley not going to have a lot of it. He's not attractive to another team right now. Neither is Harry Giles. Neither is Trenton Watford. We liked that The Nets took flyers on them. But when you think about the backcourt, when you have Lonnie Walker and we have Dennis Smith Jr. and you have Cam Thomas, does Cam Thomas become a casualty of going and getting Tyler Hero? Or do you think about reshaping it where in the long term you have Tyler Hero and you have Cam Thomas and now all of a sudden you have real firepower in the backcourt, maybe bleeding forward, positionless basketball, et cetera, when it comes to Hero and how you and how you structure it? I don't know. And I think the biggest drawback for the Nets, and we kind of said this throughout the offseason, is that they are looking to not overcommit to any one avenue so that they have their options open. Now, the fact that in the short term, Giannis has certainly been taken off the table with everything that had been talked about, yeah, that changes it, right? Are the Nets really keeping their assets dry for that? Probably not anymore. You can speculate on Luka and Dallas and what goes on there, sure. We've talked about Embiid before. I think as every year goes by, that becomes maybe a slightly less attractive option, as good of a player as he is. So I, I don't know if the Nets ever really want to go too far down this road. But one of the other teams, when we talk about the fallout from this, that we can discuss is a team like the Toronto Raptors. Because they're, you know, you think about Pascal Siakam being there, and I don't think anyone, I saw some of this, these conversations going on about if you're Siakam, you're pretty frustrated, obviously. You're not getting surrounded with talent. You have some young guys, but they're not really building around you per se. I'm not here to tell you, and we, we discussed Pascal Siakam as well. I'm not here to tell you that Pascal Siakam is a guy that you should be building around. But you bring in Schroeder to replace Fred Van Fleet. You have Ananobi. You have Barnes. And then you have Siakam sitting there. And you also have Gary Trent Jr. in the background there as a young player, and he's on a walk year potentially. So you have these kind of guys, and they were sniffing around the Dame Lillard discussion as well. So while it may not happen in the short term, in the big picture, over the course of the early portion of this season, Toronto could be a team. They could be a team that when you go and you look at, at where his contract stands, Siakam that is, and they're going to look to move off of him. I don't know, unlike maybe a Drew Holiday, how the league perceives the value. And it's team specific, as we know, right? Different teams are going to have those needs. And you can think back to at the highest level, what, what was Siakam capable of being? I think you want to plug him underneath somebody. Again, $37.8 million, final year of his contract as well. So Toronto wanting to get value out of that would certainly be a nice option. Are the Nets capable of absorbing the $37.8 million? Probably not, or they probably wouldn't want to without making significant moves. And that could be another three or four team deal where you combine Spencer Dimwitty, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal. That gets you up over $40 million clearing the cap. But but the Nets would need to be at a point early in the season, approaching the deadline, where they say, oh, well, adding Pascal Siakam, that's going to put us over the top. But if you're putting yourself over the top, it means that you've been playing to a certain level. And it's hard to think that they've done that without some of these guys, Dorian Finney, Finney Smith, excuse me, Spencer Dinwiddie or Royce O'Neal being a part of it. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And if you go back a couple episodes when I talked about, hey, we're looking at Cam Thomas and should be inserted into the starting lineup. And you can slice that a thousand different ways. But this is one of the reasons why I think they should. So that when an opportunity potentially arises to make a move for a veteran or otherwise, you're looking at the roster and saying, well, our, our key, our core guys, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, okay, 
And Ben Simmons is still only in his mid-20s, and he's healthy and he's playing well. And Nicholas Claxton is young, and we know we got a big contract on for him. If I can confirm that Cam Thomas can be a part of that key integral core, well, now it makes these other guys more expendable. If I keep Cam Thomas behind Spencer Dinwiddie, if Cam Thomas is only playing 15 to 20 minutes, well, then I don't get the confirmation that adding in a Siakam is going to help elevate Cam Thomas and everybody else there, right? Instead, I continue to leave a question mark, and then you're talking about in a different way, after Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving get traded, a bunch of new bodies, everybody trying to gel, right? You'd be talking about shedding three players that are maybe either a starter and a key contributor coming off the bench, now flipping that and trying to acclimate someone like a Pascal Siakam. And that's all in the vein of being competitive. That's adding Siakam as the needle mover for your playoff production. Again, the outside benefit here for the Nets is Toronto Raptors. They start talking about moving a guy like Siakam and someone else shakes free. I've said it before and I'll continue to say it, that I really like the the Gary Trent Jr. angle of a three-team deal. He also is in the final year of his contract. And while certainly the Toronto Raptors in their own right could think, yeah, we want to bring him back long-term. They haven't done an extension yet to this point. And if you think about OG being there and you think about Barnes going to be coming up, and then what does this trade look like? Who do they grab and pull in as a third team here that maybe changes how they feel about the players they have currently on their roster? So for the sake of argument and a bit of a closeout moment here, I could look at a couple of, I mean, there's a couple of different ways that you could slice this. And I actually threw out some interesting, like deep dive trade scenarios uh, with Doug last week. Say that the, say that the Chicago Bulls look at this and they go, well, we could really add a piece here in Pascal Siakam. And it's 37 million. And we got to really parse out some of our money. I mentioned about how Lonzo ball and the injuries and maybe applying for an exemption. But moving him anywhere, right, anywhere at all, and just saying even if the Nets are otherwise, what? how can that help stabilize one of these organizations? If you look down the list and you think about a Vucevic, well, if they're bringing in Siakam, they're trying to stay competitive, so they'd need to kind of shed some of the other money. Maybe it is a Patrick Williams, right, a Kobe White who just re-ups. You won't be able to make that move until a certain date going into the season. And Alex Caruso, who's highly valuable to them, but also represents some of the bigger money that they have on their books. There's probably ways that Chicago could try to manipulate their way into success. And then the other, maybe more obvious one is the Miami heat. If the Miami heat say, well, 37 million, when we can go ahead and move off the Kyle Lowry money. Yeah. Little reunion tour for the Toronto Raptors as they move towards the rebuild and they want to shed some money. Okay. If you make that kind of one-to-one move and then the Nets also say, we can get in on that and we can throw a Royce O'Neal down to Miami to help that process along. A lot of moving parts that would need to get there, but not too far off. You're not too far off when you start talking about those types of contexts. And that's where I still think the Nets are going to live. We thought that that's where they would live coming into this offseason and coming into these types of trades. Now that we get confirmation. So while the Brooklyn Nets do not end up acquiring Damian Lillard or acquiring a Tyler Hero in a Damian Lillard to Miami trade, at a high level, nothing changes for the Nets, even from a competition standpoint in the East. And going forward, they're still able to have this conversation about being involved in these trades. And as you can tell, 
I'm going to start thinking about ways that the Nets can maybe get younger, add a player to their backcourt that I think has upside future, that even beyond like a Dennis Smith Jr. or a Lonnie Walker has maybe a, a kind of value that you want to keep around on an extension on a future contract. So we'll dive into those things. End of the day, though, this was a surprise to say the least. It certainly changed the NBA championship perspective because I think Milwaukee was hanging on with their veteran talent. Damian Lillard is that next level guy. He's going to bring an offensive game, right? 30 plus point score. How does that change the dynamic for Milwaukee? We'll see. Their depth has gotten a little bit thinner. For the Phoenix Suns, they, they switched it up. It's, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. They refuse to stop making moves in pursuit of a championship. And where are the extra fallouts from there? So we'll come back in next time. We'll break, continue to break down all the latest news around this trade and the potential extensions of it and how it relates, as always, back to the Brooklyn Nets. Set at the top, thank you for joining us live on YouTube. You can go ahead and subscribe over there and turn on the alerts. You can get over the podcast feed. It's all 100% free, as Doug would tell you, but it means the world to us. We appreciate the support. We're doing it five days a week. We're ramping it up as we get into the regular season. Real basketball is just around the corner. And we always greatly appreciate it. We said we got to 6,000 on YouTube, 7,000 now. We never stop setting new goals. So go be a part of that. Really appreciate it. We will stay here for just a couple of minutes. I see everybody in there. Appreciate it. So we'll talk to you guys for a couple of minutes here before we get out. And then be sure to be back in tomorrow for a nice little discussion with Sharif Phillips-Keaton, where we talk about briefly the, the Dame Lillard kind of trade and what it meant. But we're also going to talk about Ben Simmons' health what he's heard from the organization, from Jock Vaughn, how he feels about some of the young players' potential to maybe make an appearance here as he's been doing some great coverage around key areas of improvement for players throughout the Nets roster. As you know, with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote short of saying that I miss my friend and I can't wait until he's back here so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball basket.